Well, amen. All right. How's it going? Everybody doing good? Awesome. It's exciting to be here this morning. Uh, as always, thank you for fighting through the rain and uh, just the nasty weather to be here. It's always good to worship God together and uh, just be encouraged through his word. Uh, one thing before we get started, uh, we have the marriage conference coming up uh, that we're super excited about, February 28th and 29th, which is not this coming Friday and Saturday, but the next. Uh, if you are not planning on coming, you should plan on coming. It's going to be an incredible time, uh, no matter if you're uh, at a good spot in marriage, bad spot in marriage, just need a tune-up uh, if you're preparing for marriage, or uh, I've had a lot of questions about husbands being uh, at the outage or wives not being able to come, you guys are welcome to come. It's really open uh, for everybody. Some times on that is uh, Friday, February 28th. It'll, be, it'll start at 6.30 right here at STC and uh, last from 6.30 to 9.30 that night, and then it'll last that Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to noon. So two three-hour sessions. Uh, there'll be two teaching times in there, two worship times. So it should be really, really awesome and a great thing uh, for you and your marriage. So don't miss this opportunity. Uh, we'd love for you to join us on that day. Uh, today we're starting a new series called Authentic. Uh, we're going to be in the book of First John, uh, which I'm really excited about. This is a very special book to me. Uh, we're also uh, aligning back with our 412 reading plan and our small groups, right? So if you're a part of a connect group, you guys will be studying through 1 John. Uh, if you're on uh, the 412 reading plan with us as a church, uh, you'll be walking through the book of 1 John. If you've not heard about the 412 reading plan, this is something that we do as a church together. If you want to uh, download our app, Connection Church by Delia app, or you can stop by the Next Steps area uh, to pick up. Uh, a physical copy of the 412 reading plan, and we as a church try to read through the Bible uh, together. And so one of the reasons we're uh, moving back towards 1 John is because uh, we've kind of set a goal for 2020. This year, I really want you uh, and every person that's a part of Connection Church to grow personally in your ability to read the Scripture um, and know God and hear from God and, and do what He says. And so uh, that's something... Uh, that we'll be doing. Hopefully, the way I'm preaching on Sundays will help you learn to do that, as well as being able to follow along with the 412 reading plan and walk through those questions on a daily basis, as well as discussing in a connect group if you're a part of one. I think this will be very good for us as a church, and I'm excited to see uh, what, what, what happens through it. So the book of 1 John, before we get started, is, is just an incredible book. It's one of my favorites, uh, mainly because it answers some really, really great questions uh, for us. Uh, one is, how do you know that you know God, right? How do you know that you know that you know God? How do you know that you're saved and that you'll spend eternity with Christ? First John is going to answer that. Really, the only question that matters in your life in the scope of eternity, First John is written to help you know that. Uh, it's also a very straightforward and practical book, right? One of the things that you're going to see today um, and don't blame it on me, it's, it's the Bible, but it is, it is pretty, it, it will hit you right between the eyes. I mean, it's very black and white. Uh, it's pretty much either you're a Christian or you're not. If you are a Christian, this is what your life should look like. If you're not a Christian, uh, this is what your life uh, should look like. And so it really does a good job with looking at that. It's one of my favorite books because I've seen more people come to faith in Christ, true faith, true saving faith in Christ, through this book than probably any other book in the entire Bible because it is just black and white and it really allows us to examine ourselves and test our faith to see 
if it's true. And so for three, uh, we'll, we'll be in it for a few weeks, but the three common things that I want you to see, which, which John will point out is three evidences of saving faith are these things. Number one, repentance, how we deal with sin in our life. Number two, uh, obedience, listening to God and doing what he says. If we are a true believer, our life will be characterized by listening to God and doing what he says. And then love. John says, if we truly know Christ, then people will know us by the way we love others. And so you'll see a commonality all throughout the book of 1 John where he kind of circles back to those three things. So let's pray together. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 John chapter 1 and uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for each and every person uh, in this room. And Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it is living and active, God, and it searches our hearts. And God, it cuts our hearts. God, it shows us areas of our life where we need to grow. Um, so God, thank you for your willingness to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts and open our ears to hear from you. And God, I pray that this word would not fall on deaf ears that aren't ready to act, but it would fall on soft hearts and open ears. God, that want to act. So, Lord, speak to us right where we are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, talking about Jesus, and we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. So a couple things you see in the early verses is number one uh, is really uh, John is writing as an eyewitness. And this is a big deal because one of the biggest questions of the Christian faith is, was Jesus who he says he was, right? Nobody in this room was living 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the earth. And if you are like me and my wife and you enjoy watching uh, Law & Order SVU, then you know the best kind of witness to win a case is an eyewitness. And so when, when John writes from a firsthand eyewitness standpoint, what he's saying is, hey, listen, I was there. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. Jesus is who he says he is. And this is an incredible question for him to answer. And it gives him an authority in writing. And it gives him a, a, a credibility that none of us have. And so when he speaks, he speaks as a firsthand eyewitness. And so we need to listen. Uh, he says, I'm writing so that you may have fullness of joy through fellowship with God. Again, he connects our joy in the Christian life, in life in general, with our fellowship with God. Now, this word fellowship is a uh, Greek word, koinonia, which is about close relationship or partnership. And so what John is saying is he says, listen, if you want joy in your life, it comes from a relationship with God, a close relationship with God. Now, Here's the thing we got to understand. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. You hear me? Happiness is based on your circumstances, right? Happiness is something good happens, so you're happy. It's in a feeling. It's an emotion, right? On the other hand, if something bad happens, you get sad, right? So happiness and sadness is not the same thing as joy because Christian joy transcends all circumstances, 
Christian joy is when your sense of joy and fulfillment and happiness comes from Christ alone in your relationship with him. And this is what Paul says surpasses all understanding. This is what the author of Hebrews says is the anchor for our soul. It means that no matter what happens to you in this world, good or bad, that your fulfillment and your joy is secure because it's secure in something that's outside of this world. Amen? That's what John wants us to know. And it's very important that we link those two things together. Verse 5, he says, this is the message that we have heard from Jesus And we declare to you, so I've seen him, I've touched him, I've felt him, and this was his message, this is what he was saying. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, right? So what does that mean? So he he comes in, he says, God is light. And, and, And this is what John's saying is, Jesus himself was the exact representation of God to us, and he's saying, listen, this God is the essence of light, Uh, What he's saying is God is absolutely perfect and nothing exists in God's character that impinges upon his truth and holiness. He is not like us. He is above us. He is the perfect imprint of everything everything we can think of. If we want to know what a good person is, God. If we want to know what love is, God. If we want to know what truth is, God. He is holy. He is set apart and he is different. In scripture, light and darkness are very familiar symbols. Intellectually, light refers to biblical truth, while darkness refers to error and falsehood. Morally, light refers to holiness and purity, while darkness refers to sin and wrongdoing. But here's the thing about light. When John describes that God is light, he calls to mind Jesus' own words in John 3.19, which says this, The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. You see, the function of light is to reveal things as they truly are. Light exposes darkness. So that's the thing. When we begin to see God for who he is and begin to see him as the Bible describes him, immediately what happens is our darkness, our sin begins to be exposed. And so one of the ways that we know we've seen God for who he is is when we actually are aware that we are unlike God, that we are sinful, that we are, that, that we are different than God. What he loves is not what we love. And so we have to begin to see that. Verse 6, he says, For if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, then we lie and do not live out the truth. I told you first John comes right at you. He's coming. He says, John comes right out of the gate and he addresses the issue of the people that he's writing to. You see, in first John uh, is a letter written to the churches around Ephesus and there was kind of an epidemic in the churches there at this time where people were claiming to be Christians, but then their life did not reflect the life of Jesus. Similar to today, right? So many people uh, that claim to be Christians, many of us in this room would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but then Monday through Saturday, our lives do not look like Christ. We don't love like Christ. We don't uh, kill sin in our life. We don't uh, love other people well. We don't obey Christ and his teachings. Uh, and so our, our, there, there's something different, right? When you hold it up, it says Christian, but your life doesn't look like Christ. And that's what John knew about these people. And he says, listen, if you think you can be a follower of Jesus and be in a close relationship with him and walk in continual and habitual sin, then you are a liar. 
right? If, if it were me, I would sugarcoat that, but John doesn't. He says, listen, if your life doesn't match what you say you are, then you are a liar. In 1 John 3, 9, John goes on to say that continual and habitual sin is actually the primary evidence that we do not know God at all. It says if we've been born of God, born of the Holy Spirit, then we cannot continue to walk in a lifestyle of sin. Verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we claim that we have not sinned, then again, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. John says, if, if we want to know God and walk with God, then we must walk in the light. Now notice, when he talks about what is the light, most of us immediately go to, well, I must be perfect, right? Because I just said a while ago, if, if you sin, then you are not a Christian. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there's a difference in falling into sin once or twice and actually living a lifestyle of sin. See, what we have to understand is sin is deeper than us just going to get drunk. Or sin is deeper than us just gossiping about someone. Sin is actually a lifestyle. It is a life direction. Sin starts when we wake up in the morning and we say, I'm going to live for myself today instead of saying, I'm going to live for God today and I'm going to pursue the things of God today. God is going to lord my life today rather than me lord my life today. And so we have to begin to understand what John is saying is that if we habitually wake up and choose to live for ourselves every day and all we think about is what we have to do in us, then we are not a Christian. But on the other hand, when we begin uh, to, to, to see God for who he is, then we understand that we are sinful people. It sounds kind of like uh, contradictory, but it's not. So what does John say that means to walk in the light? Is it to be perfect or without sin? Absolutely not. John says it's to walk in transparency, confession, and repentance. He says the biggest difference between a believer and a non-believer is not is in how we respond to the sin in our life. This means that the biggest difference between someone who is a Christian and someone who's not a Christian is not that the person who's not a Christian has sin in their life and the person who is a Christian doesn't have sin in their life. That actually creates a religious bigotry where we look down on people because they're not like us. That's wrong. God says, listen, the biggest difference between a non-believer and a believer is in how we respond to sin in our life. Do we repent or do we just continue to walk in it habitually, intentionally, and, and, and create a habit of it? And then he goes to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So finally, John reminds us of, of what our view of sin should be. He says, listen, if you're a Christian, you should try and strive not to sin and walk and live your life in sin. But he says, listen, if you fall into it, remember the gospel. 
that we are received by God. We are safe before God, not because of how well we live, but because of Christ's finished work on the cross. He wants us to understand, listen, that if we are living in habitual sin, we're not a Christian. But if we say we're without sin, then we're not a Christian either. So we gotta understand that sin is gonna be a part of our lives. And then on the other hand, we have to understand we need to strive not to sin. And when we do sin, we need to go back to the gospel, which is the point of repentance and exactly what John is saying. So if that's complicated, I'm gonna break it down so that it makes it a little bit easier for us to understand. So today, what I wanna do is I wanna ask you a very personal question because anytime you preach on something like this or you reach, uh, read a book like 1 John, your immediate reaction is to look to, to your right or to your left. It's, oh man, this would have been a great message for somebody else. Or man, I wish so-and-so would be here. But that's not how to read the Bible. That's not how to listen to a message. God wants to speak to you and me right where we are this morning. So what is your relationship with sin? Spiritually, your relationship with sin can reveal a lot about your relationship with God. Three things that I think our relationship with sin reveals. Number one is this. Our relationship with sin reveals whether we truly know God or not. You know, in this passage, John identifies three signs of someone who doesn't know God, even though they think they do. He identifies the first two by the phrase, if we say we have fellowship with him and we do this, then we do not know God. Verse six, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him, Christ, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And then finally, two, chapter two, verse one, but if anybody does sin... He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So the first thing I want you to see is that our relationship with sin reveals whether we truly know God or not. So think about it like this, letter A. You don't know God if you continue to sin. Now, he doesn't mean if you ever sin, saying that you never sin would be its own problem because the next point he says is that, if you don't think you have sin, then you're a liar too. So what is he talking about? He's saying, you do not know God if you continue to willfully, intentionally, habitually, continually walk in a lifestyle of sin. Now remember, sin is not just an action, it is a life direction. If I wake up every morning and live for myself, I do not know God. We have to come to grips with that thing and understand that that's what John is saying. He means if we willfully and defiantly pursue a lifestyle of sin, then we do not know God. You can't say you love God, the light, if you continue to walk in darkness. If you have really been saved, then God has given you a new spirit in you. And that spirit craves to be in the light because in the light is where fellowship with God is. Jesus himself the Holy Spirit himself lives inside of you and he longs to be with God. And so we have to understand that when the spirit is inside of us, it drives us, it gives us these desires to walk in the light. So here's how this usually looks in, in the church today. You know, for people that 
<clears throat> really just deal with sin in a very casual manner. You know, people say to me all the time, they say, Billy, you know, we're, we're, we're preparing to get married. Hopefully one day we really feel like we just need to try out this whole living together thing. So we're going to move in and start living together and really start playing uh, marriage before we uh, get married. We know it's wrong and God doesn't agree with it, uh, but, but we still consider ourselves to be Christians and we just feel like it's something that we need to do. Or the guy who uh, constantly reminds me and says, hey, Billy, you know, I just, I, I struggle with alcohol and I'm addicted to it and I know it. And uh, every time I do it, I come home and I blow up on my wife and I treat her and my family like a dog, but I'm still making it to church on Sunday. Or a woman who constantly gossips about other women to make herself feel better, yet still considers herself a Christian. Or people who say, hey, well, I disagree with what the Bible says about homosexuality. So I'm going to be a Christian homosexual as if God allows you to opt out of the things in the Bible that you don't agree with. He doesn't do that. You can't say you know Christ as Savior and Lord and not have forsaken what he has forbidden. You can't love Jesus and embrace what he died to put an end to. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, 1 John 2, 4 says, is a liar. Now, I'm not saying when you become a Christian that you become a perfect person. You actually fall often but the thing that differentiates you is there is a decided resolution that Jesus is the Lord of your life and that his way is right and that you're going to follow him. No matter if you understand it or not. Listen, there will be things in your life that God asks you to do that you don't wanna do, that you don't feel like doing. But at that point, you have to understand that when you receive God as your Lord and Savior, you give up the right to be right because upon that confession, you are submitting to the Lordship of God. And you're saying, this God is all-knowing. He's all good. He knows what's best for me. He created me. So what he tells me to do, I realize and I believe is what's good for me, no matter if I feel like doing it or not. You know, many things in life that God will ask you to do you won't feel like doing, and you'll be faced at a crossroads of lordship. Do I do this or do I not? In that moment, who has authority of your life? Is it you or is it God? If it's you, then you need to ask the question, are you truly a believer in Christ? The second thing you see, letter B, is, is John says, you don't know God if you say you have no sin. Verse 10, he says, if we claim He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. He says, this is an error on the opposite side. John says that being unaware of our sinfulness of your heart is a sign that you don't know God. When we see God for who he is, light, our darkness is exposed. If we've never acknowledged our sin, then we've never seen our need for the gospel, nor have we seen God for who he is. Because when we see God who is light, it exposes our darkness. This is why every person who came into contact with Jesus while he was on earth fell to the ground. 
And they said, woe is me, for I'm a sinful man. John, Peter, uh, Isaiah 6, every person that comes in contact with God falls to the ground and says, woe is me, I deserve to die. Why why does that happen? Because when we see light, it exposes our darkness. But listen to me, it opens the door for us to experience the grace of God because listen, until we know how wicked we are, until we're exposed for who we are, the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done doesn't mean anything for us. But when we're exposed for who we are and God says, listen, I see you for who you are. I know what you're doing. I know everything about you, but I still love you and I still sent my son to die for you. It bursts alive, the gospel in our hearts in a way that we could only ever imagine. This is what awakening to God is like. The first sign of God's grace is you get a sense of how wicked your heart is. It's like looking in a mirror when you see God. If we're not aware of how sinful we are, then the light of the gospel is not shining in our hearts. And then finally, the last thing John says is that you do not know God if you have no confidence before God because of your sin. Hold on now. You don't know God if you have no confidence before God because of your sin. Billy, you just told me if I have sin, I'm not a Christian. And then you told me if I'm not aware of my sin, I'm not a Christian. Now you're telling me I need to be confident in my sin. Listen to what John says. But if anybody does sin, Christian, if you do sin, you need to realize you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. What is John saying? He's saying, listen, you need to understand two big words. You need to understand that Jesus is your advocate and you need to understand that Jesus is your atoning sacrifice. The other word for that is your propitiation. And so if you become a believer, your relationship with sin changes because now your sin drives you to look at Christ for who he is first, that he was your propitiation. You have to understand the word atonement means that literally... um, it means that it's a claim against you has been satisfied. Literally, our sin before a holy God is deserving of punishment. Infinite death is the, is the punishment. And so when God sent Jesus to the cross as the ultimate sacrifice, our sin, my sin, your sin, do, do our sin in this life was poured out on Jesus. The cross was so much more than just some Roman soldiers beating a guy to death. It was the God of the universe pouring out his wrath and his anger and his punishment for sins that you and I committed on Jesus Christ to the point where when Jesus finished, right before he died, what did he say? It is finished. What was finished? Not that he was about to die. The wrath due our sin was finished. Every person who would be saved in that moment Our sins was satisfied in Christ and what he's done. John says you need to understand that because as a Christian, we shouldn't run from God in our sin. We should run to him. Why? Because he's our advocate. An advocate is a legal term like a lawyer referring to someone who argues your case before the bar of justice on your behalf. If you're a Christian, Jesus is your advocate before the Father. He stands there like a lawyer pleading your case. Understanding the gospel should give us confidence to run to God in our sin. Our sin sin should drive us towards God the way a child runs to his father for help. I love how Tim Keller defines the gospel. He says this, the gospel is that we are more sinful and we are more flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ 
than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus wants us to know. Listen, we can't continue to run in sin and, and live the lifestyle of sin if we've been born of God. The Bible says we're a liar if we do that. If we say we're without sin and we're puffed up with pride as if we don't have sin in our life, we're not a Christian because we don't understand the gospel because God, his light exposes our sin. And then he says, listen, if we don't understand why Christ had to die, this is why Christ, it's so important that Christ was fully God and fully man. So many people question this. They question his deity that when he came to earth, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't fully man or he wasn't fully God. But if he wasn't fully man and fully God, then he wasn't the perfect sacrifice that atoned for our sin that could reconcile us back to God. It's such a beautiful picture when we understand the gospel. The second thing our relationship with sin reveals is the health of our relationship with Christ. Not only does it reveal whether we're saved or not, it reveals the health of our relationship with God. You know, there's no better indicator when it comes to how close we are to God than, it, than our relationship with sin. It's a spiritual impossibility to have a close relationship with sin and God at the same time. The closer we are to him, the more his light exposes our sin. The closer we are to him, the more honest we become about our sin. I want you to listen to how Paul David Tripp talks about this principle. He says, did you know that one of the most comforting messages in the entire Bible is that? In all of our sin, weakness, and failure, we don't have to hide from God. In the midst of all of our self-imposed difficulty and foolish life decisions, God will never respond to you in shock or disgust. In fact, if the Bible does anything, it welcomes you out of your self-imposed prison of fear and shame the Bible welcomes you to step out of the darkness and into the light the face, uh, to face reality honestly and with hope. The message of the Bible is that we don't need to hide anymore. There's a God whose grace is bigger and more powerful than any of our brokenness and failure. There is no sin so deep that Jesus isn't deeper. You don't have to hide. You don't have to run. You don't have to shrink away in shame. The honesty of the Bible is a welcome for you and I to be honest. In my mind, you know, I always thought that the closer I got to Jesus, the less sinful I would become. You know, I thought it was like the up and up. The, the more like Christ I became, or the more I pursued God, uh, the, the, the more holy I would be, the less sinful I would be. And part of that is, is probably right. But the second thing that I've, I've, I've come to understand is that the closer I've gotten to Jesus over the past 15 years, the more sin I've become aware of in my life. You know, at first it started with sinful actions. You know, like I knew uh, that, that the way I was living my life was wrong on the outside. But then as I began to get to know Christ, I started to see, wow, this is more than just my action. This is really my, my, my attitudes and my thoughts and, and really my worldview altogether is all about me and God just began to take me deeper into that. And now I'm beginning to see that literally my whole life is, is sinful if I'm not focused in pursuing God because that is my autopilot. I've become to almost to the point that Paul came in Romans 7 where he says, listen, there is sin in me at work from the deepest parts of who I am. There is a law of sin that's at work at me. Who will save me from this wretched body? Thanks be to Christ Jesus, my Savior, that'll do it, right? That's the only hope 
that we have. We have to understand that the only hope we have against sin is Christ and what he's done. I've learned that if my relationship with God is in a good place, then I'm aware of my own sin. I've learned that if my relationship with God is in a good place, I'm aware of the battle between my flesh and my spirit that's going on. I start to realize, okay, yes, at salvation, God gave me the Holy Spirit, but also I have a flesh that's been trained for 20 years of my life to live for myself and do everything about me. And those two things are at war, where God's trying to renew my mind through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. My flesh is trying to tell me that if I could just live for myself, I'd be satisfied. Or if I could just do this or just do what I wanted to do, that I'd be happy. And so as I've come to know Christ, what I've learned is that those two things are going to be battling in me for the rest of my life. I've learned that my relationship with God is in a good place when I'm comfortable being exposed by God because that's where his grace will burst alive in my heart the most. In our relationship with God, if it's at a healthy place, we won't be hiding our sin or hiding from it. In our relationship with God, if it's in a healthy place, we won't be prideful because of our lack of sin but humble because of a God that loves us despite our sin. If we're in a good place in our relationship with God, we will have a healthy fear of just how sinful we are apart from God. If who you are apart from Christ doesn't scare you, you are not a healthy Christian. This is one of the things I love about working with, with recovery, guys that are in recovery, is that they understand more than most that if apart from Christ, they understand that their life is heading for a bad place very quickly. And so the difference in some of you and some of them when they wake up is some of them that God has rescued and, and saved, they understand that for the rest of their life, they'll never be recovered. They'll be in recovery. And they understand that there's a monster inside of them that if they let this monster out of the cage, they will end up somewhere where they don't wanna be as fast as they can go. But for some of us in this room, because we haven't experienced that idea of recovery, we think we're okay with just flirting around with sin. But God wants us in the same mindset that some of these people understand, where we understand, listen, the moment we take our eyes off of Christ, the question is not, if destruction is coming, it's when will we get there? And it may not be drunk in a ditch, naked on cocaine, but it may be you destroying your family. It may be you allowing some secret sin that eventually will destroy you and your relationship with your kids, will destroy your job, will destroy everything. But it starts with you beginning to have a healthy fear of who you are apart from Christ. No person in this room is good, including myself, apart from Christ. That's how powerful sin is. But we have a loving God that loves us and wants to help us. And it's only when we live in the light, the exposure of who we truly are, that we find a healthy dependence on God. Listen, I used to define maturity as a lot of other things. But to me, the best definition of a mature believer is one that's dependent on God. They understand who they are apart from Christ so now they don't, want to, they don't want to live their life apart from Christ because they understand that's leading to destruction. Listen, for some of us in this room, we struggle to spend time with God on a daily basis. And so we're trying to discipline ourselves. We're trying to pull up our, 
our, our, our bootstraps and, 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 and get to a place where we can do it on our own, but we are failing to realize the issue is not the discipline. The issue is that we truly don't understand how much we need God. Listen, you may not know a lot about me, but one of the things that you do know is that I like to eat. When I'm hungry, nobody has to hold my hand or tell me, hey, Billy, it's time to go eat. Well, it's the same thing in your relationship with God. When you hunger for God, when you need God, nobody has to walk beside you in your hand and say, hey, come eat. We understand. So for some of us in this room, the the best thing God could do for us today is expose us in our sin to the point where we realized, apart from God, I'm going somewhere that I do not want to go. And I need God. And because of that need for God, you would press into him more than you ever have in your entire life. Not only does our relationship with God reveal whether we're saved or not, not only does it reveal the health of our relationship with God, but also how we are responding to sin, number three, will always reveal whether we are growing or not. The pathway to growth is always through repentance and fighting sin. Our spiritual growth is dependent on our ability to fight sin and live a life of repentance. So the question is, well, how do we repent? How do we fight sin? For some of us, I don't know how you think about the word repentance, but if you're anything like me, when you think repentance, you think of the guy with the bullhorn yelling at you on the side of the road. Repent. You're a sinner. You've done this, this, and this, or you're going to hell. Okay, the Bible talks about sin in a very different way than that. That's not wrong. It's just incomplete. Repentance is actually something that leads to refreshing. Repentance is when God exposes us in our sin it leads us back to the gospel so that now our soul is stirred and our affections are stirred back towards Christ because it leads us back to the cross for what he has done for us. So the question is, is how do we repent? What does it look like? Well, this is what it looks like. Number one, God exposes us in our sin. Now here's the thing we have to learn about being exposed in our sin. God exposes us because he loves us. God exposes us because he wants to grow us. He's committed to us becoming like him. God exposes us in our sin to protect us if we're a Christian. He's a loving father that sees you going down a path that's going to lead to destruction. And so he exposes us in our sin to protect us. The problem with being exposed is that it's uncomfortable. The problem with being exposed is that it hurts our pride. Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. The problem with being exposed is it's awkward for us because most of us are not used to it. We want to hear the good side of Christ. We want to hear all about the grace and all about the mercy and all about that. And yes, that's the good news of the gospel. But that good news burst alive in a heart that understands how sinful and dependent they are on what Christ has done for them. So any of us, when we're exposed in our sin, we respond in one of four ways. And listen, how do I know this is because I know it from personal experience. Whether I'm caught and somebody catches me doing something and says, Billy, you need to change this, you're prideful and arrogant, blah, 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 whatever. Or whether God reveals something to me in my time with him and says, Billy, you need to change. In my heart, three things happen naturally before repentance happens. Number one, when we're exposed, the first thing we do naturally is deny it. I didn't do that. No, you're missing it. You don't understand. And then if I can't convince myself, then I'll just say, well, I can hide this. Nobody else has to know this. 
The second thing I'll do is I'll try to justify it. Well, it's not that bad. You know, I know God says this, but, you know, that's not what I was thinking. I'm a good person. Or the third thing I'll do naturally is blame shift it. Well, it's not my fault. If this didn't happen to me then, and if they wouldn't have treated me like this, or if they wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't have had to do that. All of those three things are wrong. All of those three things are not repentance. And all of those three things will lead to death and not life. The fourth and the only right response when God exposes us in our sin is repentance. And repentance is what David describes in Psalm 51. Repentance is the moment when we're exposed in our sin that we realize what David realized against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. It becomes personal. We begin to see that it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. We begin to see that it's the same sin that God exposed in our life right then that literally we come face to face with Jesus in such a way that it was that sin that literally put him on the cross. And listen, when we do that, it's personal and it's, it changes your heart, it changes your mind, and it changes your direction. Because when the, when the gospel becomes personal to you, the only result is life change. So when God exposes you in your sin, do you deny it? Do you justify it? Do you blame shift it? Or do you just own up to it and say, yes, God, I need you to forgive me. God, thank you for sending your son to die for me. It was this sin that he died for. And then we pick up and we continue to move on with a change of heart, with a change of mind, and with a change of direction. Nothing hinders our growth as a Christian more than unrepentant sin. Nothing. The second thing we got to learn how to do is how to fight sin. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 gives us uh, some, some good advice when it comes to fighting sin. How do you fight sin in your life? The first thing it would tell you is you need to throw off whatever entangles you, whatever hinders you, the sin that entangles you and anything that hinders you from fixing your eyes on Christ. So if we want to learn how to fight sin, we need to do two things. Number one, we need to pursue God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's in turning your eyes upon Jesus and seeking Christ and pressing into God that the sin in your life begins to grow dim. Listen, the issue with, with our appetites towards sin is that we love sin. And if you claim not to love sin, you are not being honest with yourself. But the more we love God and replace our affection for sin with an affection for God, the more we begin to hate sin. And so God begins to show us that if we'll replace what our heart is for, what we think about, what we pursue, our desire for sin will begin to grow strangely dim. So are you pursuing God? Are you asking God to reveal sin in your life? Sin will keep you from the Bible and the Bible will keep you from sin. And then the second thing, and I believe is huge in fighting sin, is community. You know, confession and repentance is, is, is huge. Do you have people in your life to help you press into God? Do you have people in your life that can see the blind spot of sin that you have in your life? Do you talk to people about what's burdening you? What's going on in your life? Do you allow people that desire for you to pursue God even when you don't want to pursue God to help you pursue God? You know, the Christian life is a community project. 
God never designed you to walk through the Christian life alone. That's why he formed the church, is so that we could do it together. But listen, we gotta find people in our life that love us, that love Christ, and that they love Christ more than they love us, and that when we try to run off, I mean, Galatians 6 would tell us, we need people in our life that when we run from God, they run after us. And this is what we call a connect group at Connection. Listen, if you're not a part of a small group, you need to be a part of a small group. There need to be people in your life that can love you, that can walk beside you, that can speak truth to you, that can begin to help you identify. You know, because the problem with sin is it's deceiving. For some of us, we can't see the sin in our life because it's a blind spot to us. But with other people pursuing God around us, they can say, hey, Billy, what's going on, man? Why are you, why are you doing that? That doesn't really line up with what you believe. What, what's going on? And they can walk along beside of me to help me grow in my relationship with God. John Owen said, we seize not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. If we want to grow, repentance and fighting sin must be at the forefront of our lives. We have to understand that. And as I close today, I want to go back to the question that I started with. Where, where are you? How are you responding to the sin in your life right now? What is your relationship with sin. I'm not talking to the person to the right or to the person to the left. I'm talking about you. Does your relationship with sin reveal that you don't know God? Does your relationship with sin reveal a healthy relationship with God or an unhealthy relationship with God? Are you fighting sin in your life? Or are you just giving into it? Are you flirting with sin or are you fleeing from it? Where are you? Right where you are. I just want you to bow your head. For some of us in this room, we, we've never turned from our sin to God. We've, we've accepted Jesus as Savior. We, we want the cross and what he did on the cross, but we've never surrendered to Christ as Lord. But we, we would consider ourselves a Christian, but we are living how we want to live and doing what we want to do when we want to do it. That's not biblical Christianity. And today God's revealed that to you and you know it. And today the offer to follow Christ is in front of you. Would you repent and turn from your sin and quit living for yourself and begin to live for God and with the help of the Holy Spirit, would you put your faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross? Would you do that today? That's the offer. That's what God's doing. And I know he's working in the hearts of people in this room right now. And I'm gonna ask you to be bold. If that's you and you say, Billy, that's me. I've never turned from my sin and trusted in Christ. But today, that's what I wanna do. Would you just raise your hand right where you are and say, Billy, that's me. That's me, absolutely. Amen, amen. So, Father, my prayer is, God, all around this room, I know you're dealing with people. God, anytime we talk about sin, God, we know that your light exposes us. But, God, I pray today, God, that we wouldn't respond by denying it. We wouldn't respond by blame shifting it or justifying it. But, God, we would respond by seeing you on the cross and seeing what you've done for us and seeing that it was my sin 
that put you on that cross. And God, that it would do something deep down in us that would change our lives forever. God, don't let us play with sin. Don't let us flirt with it. God, help us see and view sin the same way that you do so that we can be the people that you've called us to be. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, thank you for being here today and we'll see you back next week.